Prepare to meet your God. That's what we uh, you wrapped up with last time, uh, Timothy. And uh, again, just to bring everybody in on podcast number eight. Um, Incredible. We're hitting the, the, the sweet number eight here. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here we go. Uh, my name is Jonathan Borman, and I'm here with Timothy Borman. I'm a, I'm a pastor here at Peace Lutheran in Aiken, South Carolina, uh, here with my twin, Andy. Where are you from, Timothy? Well, I'm sitting right smack dab next to the number seven train right here in the most diverse spot in the whole world in Queens, New York. So um pastor here at Sure Foundation Lutheran. Prepare to meet your God. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what happened last time. And uh, just to get everybody right into Amos chapter five, apparently it is clear that people have now met their God. <laughs> yeah, they they really have met their God. And what was the result of them meeting God? <laughs> let me just let me just read it. Let me just read it. We'll just we'll just get right into it. Hear this hear this word, Israel. This is verse one. This lament uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh is right. <laughs> I they take died, up. right? <laughs> they died. God came, Ooh. you know, this, remember last time, this theophonic appearance, this this God appearance, this theophany, and they met God, and they died. <laughs> now, now, Timothy, so. I mean, we, we got to come back to that. We, we got to come back to this idea that they've fallen, they've gone down, this that Amos in a prophetic way is is laying out somebody's obituary before they died like i mean that's a how about how about that for a preaching idea that's <laughs> yeah that's amazing you, yeah i mean you want to take that idea right now where uh basically Amos is saying and we're going to this is maybe a little aggressive Johnson but we're going to try to take Amos chapter 5 verses 1 to 17 cuz they are a unit but what okay. what Amos is trying to to lay down here is is the the biblical genre of lament, right? This is this is a lament, and yeah. so the the biggest lament in the Bible we have, you know, you know what it is, <laughs> lamentations, lamentations, you know? yeah, lamentations, whole, exactly. There's a whole book wanna, of lamentations. If you're ever riding high about yourself you know go ahead and read lamentations read the book of lamentations yeah um, but you know he, he, there's other laments in the bible too one in particular is in second samuel chapter one where where david laments the death of saul and jonathan and a lot of the sort of details in what amos is doing here is matches what David was doing um, with Saul and Jonathan. The only thing, the only difference is that Saul and Jonathan were actually dead. Yeah, I was going to say this. <laughs> this is this is interesting prophetic material because can, I mean, you and I were joking about this the other day, but just imagine if uh, well, I'll I'll imagine myself as a listener at church. And if the pastor got up in the pulpit and said, fallen is Jonathan Borman, never to rise again. 
<laughs> verse two, he's deserted with no one to help him up. And <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. You it's your like, obituary before your dad. Yeah. And I think it's, I was trying to think about like how this would sound like if the New York times, you know, it, it I think it's interesting because they always, when, when one of these celebrities dies, you know, they, yeah. <laughs> There's prefabricated release. Yeah, it's like it's already, they have these obituaries queued up already. Because it's like mm-hmm. 10 minutes after they die, there's this amazing obituary in these national papers, you know. What if they just hit like publish to the internet a bit early, you know, and then the, the, the celebrities reading about their own death and life. And yeah, uh, that's kind of what Amos is doing here is he's, he, he's pre publishing the obituary and i I really think that what a powerful rhetorical device i mean we've talked about the brilliance of this man and i I, you know personally like i think that this might be interesting uh, sort of spiritual discipline for people to use like what if what if somebody wrote my obituary and not not like all the amazing highlights of my life, like which are few and far between. But what if somebody started writing a pretty honest obituary about me? And it yeah. would like he was he was a spalding man, tall and skinny, and this is what he was like spiritually. And I'm I'm embarrassed to even say you know this is what i'm really like you know and if people there's would a sort of write their own honest obituary not not the not the typical ones but an honest obituary about what this person was really like i wonder what we would discover about ourselves yeah and those are the kinds of repentance here we are in lent and uh i mean that's a powerful powerful tool to take a hard look and that's exactly what amos is doing here and that's right it it reminds me i don't know if you heard that story about that family in galveston texas where the like the patriarch of the family was just a real something you know and uh i don't know actually this is they didn't have the guy didn't they didn't have a funeral for him and all they did is they published an obituary in the paper that basically said this guy was a real jerk and he ruined our lives (laughs) <laughs> and, that, and that's what it was like you can google it that's all they said wow and it i mean it, it it's interesting like we we do this thing called eulogizing people which that's eulogy is a greek word for praise mm-hmm. and in a way it's it's incredible now we nobody wants to speak ill of the dead right nobody wants to do that but but the truth is eulogies generally are incredibly dishonest and i you know, they are they're like the biggest, nobody wants to say like this person was stubborn, you know, and or like, yeah, no, in, yeah, they were incredibly stubborn. They had, they had moments of brilliance, but, um, the person was also inclined to drink too much at parties or, you know, like nobody, nobody wants to, to talk about honest truth. And I, I've already told Melanie, like when you do my funeral, if that's, if that's what happens, like just 
tell the people about Jesus. Like my life's not worth talking about. Yeah, yeah. Tell the tell the people about Jesus. There's no eulogy here. Uh, anything <laughs> you know? There's nothing good here. Uh, anything, in fact, that has come good out of me is just Jesus. Yeah, and what we have here is definitely not a eulogy. <laughs> yeah, this is not. This is not. This is not a eulogy here. Are there and, any eulogies in the whole Bible? <laughs> Except for maybe that people David, eulogize I mean, Jesus when he died. <laughs> There's yeah, a lot of good things David, to say. David about. eulogizes Saul in a good way. True. You know, and yeah. Jonathan. So you have some of that. You do have some of that. Um, even so, so, it's, yeah. it, even even so, so this, is not, this is not a eulogy right here. This is yeah. a lament. Now we we got to get right here into the middle of it, and we say that on purpose, right? Because you've got you've got what this called, and this is a big technical term that somebody can take home. But you've got this chiasm, and just so our listeners can understand, is actually the heart of the message uh, that Amos is trying to give us in verse eight. So uh, one of the things we have to understand when we do biblical theology is that people don't think the same way as modern Westerners. Like when you're taught to do a term paper in high school or in college or something like that, you're taught to lay it out in an outline and do linear thought. But actually, uh, people in the ancient Near East would put the big thoughts in the middle, and then they'd kind of circle around it. Isn't that right, Timothy? Yeah, they'd they'd work their way out from the middle. And so... Like you said, this is chiasm. There's there's a lot of chiasm in the Bible. So let's just kind of work our way out from the middle. And and by the way, the book of Lamentations is one big chiasm. So yeah. sitting right in the middle of that book is the mercies of God. Um, and So you he, have law, 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 law. Yeah. And then right in the middle is the mercy of God. And that's true right here. You have law, 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 law. But sitting smack dab, literally smack dab in the middle of this thing, is um, the name of the Lord. So there's this one phrase. It's right in the middle. It says, the Lord is his name. Now, (laughs) why do you think that is the very center of this lament or this call to repentance? It's... I'm just reflecting back back to you, but it's it's what we turn to. It's Him. It's His faithfulness. It's His free and faithful love. It's the Lord. Yeah. It's, this, it's the Lord who would ultimately send Jesus to take away all sin. So right there, right there is the mercy of God right in the middle of this whole lament. Sitting on either side then is what we call this creational hymn. So we got... He's, he made the Pleiades, the Orion, who turns midnight into dawn, darkens him tonight. So remember last time we talked about this creational hymn. This is more of a decreational hymn. So it's about the, this participial God, this present God. He's right, doing stuff. Who's de- doing stuff. And mostly what he's doing is he's decreating. Yeah, this is a scary hymn. This isn't. Yeah, you're like, please don't do that, God. <laughs> what do you think? Please is scary don't darken about it, the day into night. I don't really want you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> or please do <laughs> darken day into night. I mean, that's like, ooh, <laughs> he's putting yeah. out the sun. 
Yeah. 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 That's, that's not positive. You know that's what he, definitely he, judgment. <laughs> then you, then you have this God who's calling for the waters of the sea and pouring them out over the face of the land. So yeah. Like God, don't do that. <laughs> this is a massive flood. Mm-hmm. It's a massive flood. And we know how bad uh, flooding can get. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just look to Noah, ask him about what a, the connection between flood and judgment. Yeah, Moses makes that so clear. Like when you go through that flood account in Genesis, absolutely everything dies. Everything. Except, Except for, for what's held up by water in the ark. The remnant. The That's remnant. it. So this is a remnant theology that, that God's going to preserve um, those he, he chooses to preserve. Those who are righteous by faith. That's right. So we have we have remnant theology here. We have this decreating God. And remember we said that this is like there's these three creational hymns or decreational hymns, however you want to talk about them. And so the whole book is kind of held up by these by these stools. And and I think like the NIV, if you have the NIV eighty four, that nineteen eighty four version, they actually put this whole thing in parentheses because they they're kind of like scratching their heads. Why is this thing in here? But they don't realize that this is the very heart of the lament right here. See, mm. this is it. And so as, we, as we're moving out from the center of the Lord's name, this decreational hymn, we get to the sins, right? We get to yeah. the sins on either side of it. So, Verse seven. Why is he so angry that he's going to, like in verse 9, with a blinding flash, destroy the stronghold and bring the fortified city to ruin? Why is he going to do that? Yeah, so like on, it's, if it's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, we're sort of getting to the bread now. Like, there are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. Mm. So we're like, he's, he's going to get into the legal system here. The legal system is utterly, utterly corrupt. And on, on the, the other piece of bread on the other side of, of that starts right there at verse 10, where he says, those who hate, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in the court and detest the one who tells the truth. Mm. So it's just this crazy injustice happening in the court systems of ancient Israel. And so there are those later in verse 12, it says there are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So it's this inequitable uh, judicial system. So you, I mean, we have to understand like how the court system worked back then is you'd have these people and, and people, would, uh, a respected Jewish citizen would sit at the gates of a city and then somebody would bring an issue. Somebody would bring some kind of legal dispute. And um, basically what Amos is saying, the way it was, I guess the way it was supposed to happen is that um, a judge would be honest uh, wouldn't take somebody's status or power or money into account 
but would just render out a true and just verdict. But in this case, what seems to be happening is if you didn't have money, if you didn't have status, if you didn't have some kind of community that would back you. So maybe you're an immigrant, uh, maybe you're a widow, um, maybe you're from some kind of maligned part of society. You just get kicked. You so just get kicked. Yeah. yeah. So somebody else brings in a better lawyer and you lose. Yeah. And you, you have to... I was, and that creates bitterness, you know? This is ha- like... Somebody actually just asked me for prayers because back in Mexico, this is what's happening. There's a murder inside of a store and, and our Christian friend is an owner of this store. And the the police are saying you can't open, you can't open, you you can't open because this crime was committed there. And they keep going to the police and saying, well, when can we open? It's been eight months now. So they're losing all this income. And they went to these lawyers and they said, we can get this opened up for you for $3,000 and it'll be open tomorrow. <laughs> uh, and and th- so they were saying, they want us to bribe them. You know, hmm. we'll get it open for you tomorrow. And they did nothing wrong. You know, it's just their business. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, do you think this is happening in the United States today? You know, I don't, I don't know enough about it. I, I feel like I don't have enough data about it. But our, our court system's always fair. Our, I mean, there's a lot of TV shows that I've seen about it. A lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, is it always fair? Is it always right? Are, are people taking bribes? Um, I imagine they are. I mean, there's sin here. Yeah. For sure, what we can say is what the Lord wants is an ec- equitable judicial system. And he is impressing that on people in, in the fiercest kind of way, right? So, you have this God who obviously cares about people having right done to them. He wants justice. He's a, that's, that's one of his attributes, right? He's a just yeah. God. And mm-hmm. he, he expects his creation to live out his justice as well. And Yeah, whether that's, I mean, here you have the court system um, under the eye of God, but even in, in everyday disputes um, within families, um, within relationships, uh, with an employer, um, these are all places where we can show the heart of God and when we try to take more than what's honestly ours, um, we are fighting God's nature. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we can bring this home to people because not everybody works in the judicial system every day. Some people do. And if if someone, one of our listeners works in the judicial system, you have every reason to make sure that authority is not abused. Um but I, you know, you think about where we exercise power and judgment in our lives, like parents. Um, yeah. That we need to be very careful with how we exercise power and judgment with our children, because right. God expects justice. And if teachers, you know, teachers that the way they run their classrooms and anywhere we exercise authority, maybe I'm trying to think about where we do that 
Well, we think, I mean, we think of typically within theology, we think of three areas or three domains of, of authority. That's one in the church. So, I mean, a pastor, an elder, a church leader, we want to be just and loving towards people um, at the home. Um, so you have mom and dad, um, sibling relationships, um, and then in the working world and in the government. So if you're a business owner, it, it should be a high priority for you, not just to make money, but to also give fair wages and take care of your workers. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. This is a huge point that God would have you do. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And so like as we're working, if you can imagine like this is like a peanut butter jelly sandwich, we've always seen the middle the peanut butter and jelly, like we have the mercies of God, you work out, you see his decreational hymn, and then sitting outside are the sins. Here are the sins. And as we work out from there, what you have is this amazing, amazing call to repentance. And it's going to be repeated all over the Bible, all over the Bible. So like, for example, in verse verses four to six in chapter five, seek me and live. Um, do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. Seek the Lord and live. He's going to repeat it. And same thing happens in, starting in verse 14. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Uh, hate evil, love good, maintain the courts. Um, so there's a, there's a seeking that God is calling us to do as we kind of work from the inside out on, on this on this chiasm the, a, a seeking and a not seeking you know yeah so, do not seek yep yeah do so, not seek bethel do not go to gilgal do not journey to beersheba for and because that's not going to get you anywhere you know so like we we have this we have a problematic seeking like people are looking for god in all of the wrong places it's the original sin, Timothy, isn't it? Isn't that the original sin? <laughs> Explain the what first you mean. sin was. I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to seek God, or a sort of, a sort of deification, in this tree over here. I want. I want to be like God. I oh, want sure. To be my yeah. own God. I see what you're saying. And so that becomes a source of worship. We pursue things that we think are going to make us God, and in this case. Um, you have people seeking God in the wrong places, and he's not okay with that. Not at all. It, it, kind of, it does make sense in their defense. Like, he, apparently they're going to Bethel. I mean, the Lord appeared to Jacob there. So they thought, well, maybe the Lord's there. And yeah, like a he, pretty cool, in a pretty cool way. Like, here's the staircase to heaven. To heaven. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> angels are ascending and descending on this thing. Like, this is how I ascend to God, you know? Right and here. like Gilgal, they're seeking the Lord at Gilgal. That's where, that's where the first circumcision took place, and that's where the first they celebrated Passover for the first time. So these are very holy places. Beersheba is where Abraham lived. I mean, <laughs> if there's any place or any spot or location or geographical reference, like to to know that God is reliably there, in a way where you can meet Him. Like these are the places to go, <laughs> yeah, and yet, and yet, the Lord's saying, "I'm not there." Like how? 
where do we go then, Jonathan? Like, how do we find the Lord? Well, I mean, let's let's talk about this. Here's Is he what hiding people, from let's, us, or let's let's. Let's look at this from another angle. What what's actually happening here is people are in a physical way, um, and here the physical thing here is a, a geographical location. They're trying to seek God in a physical. Um, we would in 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 Christian theology we'd call this sacramental approaches to God. Like I'm going to try to get God. In this way, through a means, through this way, yeah. So I'm going to show up at Bethel. I'm going to show up at Gilgal. I'm going to show up at Beersheba, and God says, "Don't do that. That's not a sacrament. <laughs> That's not going to work." And mm-hmm. I think so. What are what are ways? What are things that we think are sacraments and like life giving, God giving things? And the first thing that this is just me, and I'm talking in my place, in my culture, in my time is and in the south is music oh like you uh, you're moved to this new spiritual level by yeah. melody it's a, it's almost like a sort of uh sacramental mysticism like if i feel good about god and usually what that looks like is you is you sing a song that's very powerful very long and says almost nothing you know it says very very little <laughs> And I'm not trying to be mean about it. People have studied these kinds of lyrics and things like that. Um, so it's just uh, it's just empirical what's happening. But people are trying to be, they want to receive God through music. So if I just feel good about God, then God feels good about me. You know, here in New York City, it's it's a little bit different seeking of God. People are, you, you know, they'll call themselves spiritual. But like the newest thing is it used to be you'd seek God through gaining through gaining materials. But now um, people are seeking God through like minimal minimalism. Like they'll they'll seek this higher spirituality through like getting rid of everything except their iPad. <laughs> Which I so think is kind of, I think it's that's funny minimalism, because like, right? That that was that rich, documentary on Netflix that's sweeping the nation. Oh, really? Oh. I I just think it's so ironic. Like only the rich seek minimalism. <laughs> like they won't yeah, get rid right. of their iPad or their MacBook, but <laughs> they think this is minimalism or something like that. But it really, it's just a return to monasticism. That's what it is. It's monasticism. What do you mean by that? What well, do you mean monasticism by that? was like an asceticism. It's just this denying of self that if you if you suddenly make yourself poor and you live apart from society in complete silence and all of these different things, that suddenly you're going to have this divine sort of connection with God. But Timothy, you know, you can you can take look, you can take a, a a minimalistic approach to try to find God. You can try to take, you know, turn something that's not a sacrament into a sacrament to find God. But what we really want to do is to seek God on his own terms. Can I hey, can I interrupt you for a second just to go back before you yeah. kind of get into seeking God, but I just wanted to build on that point of minimalism 
asceticism, monasticism. It, one of the biggest churches not too far down the road for me in Queens is actually saying, we need to revisit the Desert Fathers. <laughs> and people are eating this up. Like they're, oh, yeah. Yeah. If we it's go out. Spirituality and, these days. If we go out and become monks and nuns and stuff like that, like people are just so hungry for God and they're seeking him in Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba and they're just not finding him. All the old so, ways. Like this is how people have found him in the past or whatever. And, and we need to do that too. A return. It's a return to the, to the same junk that Israel was, was uh, seeking and not finding. So sorry, to interrupt you. You were about to tell us how to find God. <laughs> Well, God is saying, so this is really what he's saying is don't seek me on your terms. Don't fabricate your own spirituality. Spirituality is always a gift from God that comes from him his way. And so how do you find him? Um, the way you find him is you approach God in exactly the way he's told you to do it. And this is what he said. He says, take and eat. This is my body. This is my blood. He says, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He says, hear my word, receive my absolution. And so these are true Christian ways of receiving God's spirit, which is true spirituality. You hear his word, you receive his sacraments. This is what God told us to do. He told us to do it and he told us to seek him that way. And, it, and it's just amazing that people give up on those things. You because know, like, that's really where the Spirit of God is. That's where He's promised <laughs> to be. He's given us His Word and His promise. That I'm right here. <laughs> I mean, just to I, live. <laughs> a, a number of years ago, we did this sermon series called Connecting with God because just people are so hungry to find God. And, and it was just amazing when we preached what the Scriptures said and this amazing response, just to think that God says that he's present in bread and wine. You know, I mean, so simple, these elements that are everywhere really in our lives. And God says, this is a divine moment where I am with you. I'm promising to be with you sacramentally, right? Forgiving right. your sins. It's amazing to me, still amazes me, that we don't have a line out the door every Sunday. There's not a line out the door because God is working powerfully in that moment. You know, we believe this and I just don't understand. <laughs> or, or, on the, or, or in another way, like you hear the absolution at the beginning of a church service and, and, and uh, you know, based on Jesus promise that if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. And to know that, when when somebody speaks those words of forgiveness that's actually god talking through someone and this is how god wants to be known this is how he wants to be heard now you can if you have an issue with that you know if you're kind of quit like talk to him about it you know <laughs> he, he talk to him about it i didn't set i didn't set up his ways of dealing with us but you can trust him and that's my point Amen you can trust that. him Amen. Amen. So here, I think we got to wrap this up here, Jonathan. This lament, we have this lament, uh, what we might call an obituary today. 
we have the mercies of God in the middle of it. We, he points out our sins clearly. And then we have this huge, huge call to seek God and live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good news. So <laughs> the promise of life in, his, in Jesus' name. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. We will get back into this. We'll talk about some ethical issues, how churches should respond to it here next time, and uh, get into the end of uh, chapter 5, where God's going to turn day to night. Um, amazing call, again, to repentance. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Mm-hmm.